Hey, this is Jenny Stojkovich, founder of Vegan Women's Summit and author of The Future of Food is Female, and I'm with SoFlow Vegans. Welcome to the SoFlow Vegans Podcast. We bring you vegan experts from around the world to talk about health, the environment, animal advocacy, and spreading compassion. It's our passion to help you navigate the vegan lifestyle by listening to the experiences of vegan influencers, doctors, and experts. Thanks for listening. This is the SoFlow Vegans Podcast. And now your host, Sean Russell. And welcome back to the SoFlow Vegans Podcast. I'm your host, Sean Russell. And on today's episode, I always say we have a special guest, but I've been following what our guest has been doing for a while. We first met up at Seed Food and Wine last year um, when we were judging the burger battle. And just to find out what she's up to and has been up to after that event is just awe-inspiring. And of course, today we have Jenny Stojkovic on the podcast, she is the founder of the Vegan Woman Summit, as well as the author of The Future of Food is Female. And a little note, a little bit later, we get to go to a book signing in Wynwood to see and learn and just experience all of the awesomeness that you are creating. Thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you for having me. We're eating a little bit less in this setting, huh? <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes. Oh, my goodness. And by the way, if you haven't been, it's a huge shout out to Seed. They're also a part of the event that's happening a little bit later today, also with Love Life Cafe. An amazing event. If you are only going to come to South Florida one time this year, make sure you do it in November because there's a lot to see and do there. So... The first thing, it's a bit of a tradition here, we do on the podcast is we ask you about your vegan origin story. <laughs> How, course. like what seeds were planted, seeds, huh? What seeds were planted that got you to where you are today? Okay, so have you done any research ahead of time or is this one fresh and new for you? This is going to be fresh okay. to everyone listening. All right. The Jenny origin story of veganism is an interesting one, and it may be the first time you've ever heard a story like this. Okay, just to get everybody amped. So um, thank you for having me. My name is Jenny. I have been a vegan for almost eight years now, and I had a very atypical path towards veganism. So when I was very young, when I was a newlywed, my husband's best man was murdered. So when we were you know, 22 years old, we found ourselves grappling with probably the most senseless tragedy that we could even imagine um, finding ourselves in. And during that time, I completely flipped who I was. And so when we first started to go through the process, we started to understand what it means to forgive, and eventually what it means to find compassion. So we actually decided to go forgive the murderer, you know, go to the jail and everything. Uh, we had to go through a murder trial, a very long and lengthy process. So unfortunately for folks that are familiar with it, it takes a few years and it's quite, a, quite an interesting ordeal. And through that ordeal, we decided that if we could find compassion in this situation, why were we not carrying out our lives with that same compassion? And the most obvious place was what we do three times a day, and that's what we eat. So right then and there, we decided that we would go vegan um, and that we would dedicate our lives to removing pain and suffering in any way that we could. So... Wow. That's the story. So I, I can honestly say I probably listened to like 
over 70 different vegan origin stories and yours definitely stands alone. And, you know, unfortunately for you, you had to go through that experience, but fortunate for you, you were able to, you know, discover, you know, the seedlings that kind of brought you to where you are today. And I'm sure that your story has inspired a lot of other people. And one of the big takeaways, and I kind of lit up a little bit when you said the word compassion, because for me, whenever someone asks me, why am I vegan? My answer, of course, I'm vegan for the animals and the environment, but my number one reason is for compassion. Yeah. Because even if you've been vegan for 30 years or whatever, you've been religious for 30, for your whole life, compassion is something that you get to practice every day. And I make up that compassion is more for yourself than for anybody else. Absolutely. And, you know, even in this situation that we unfortunately went through, we were the only ones, you know, out of the entire family that ever did this, that mm -hmm. went and did the forgiveness. And I can tell you, when you find compassion, it changes you from the DNA level, like every fiber of your being changes the direction in which you start every single day. You mm. know, when you start your day in a way that you're thinking about, you know, how can I be more understanding and more patient and more caring? It's just completely transformed the way that I approach the world. It's transformed the way that I approach my career, or the way that I approach my purpose in life. And I don't know that a lot of people have been through that kind of transformation. And I think that, you know, unfortunately, it takes something pretty life-changing for a lot of people to, to end up in that spot. I share my story very openly with folks because especially this like last few years, there's some traumatizing stuff that's happened to people. And I truly believe that coming out of that trauma for me was largely related to finding something to attach myself to that had a greater purpose. And so finding that compassion actually helped me heal. It was very cathartic in a way. And I think coming out of like the pandemic, there's been a lot of loss as well and tragedy of others. Uh, this could be something that could help a lot of people find direction in a time when there's really not a lot of it. And I, something you just said is something I've been thinking about like ruminating over the last couple of weeks, finding something that's bigger than yourself. You know, it's almost like, I would describe it as like a, a lifeline for you to pull yourself out of yourself. Because a lot of times, I mean, speaking for myself, I could be really in my head. And even to the fact of, I think like the Dalai Lama said something in the fact of like, if you ever, I'm paraphrasing 100%, but <laughs> like if you're ever in a deep funk, depressed or whatever the situation is, the best way to get out of it is to be in service to others. And I feel like that compassion that you have, and I want to go a little bit deeper into the compassion and I want to definitely get into your, your story post, figuring out, you know, getting to that compassion element. For me, it's like, the idea, the concept of loving yourself, I feel is foreign to a lot of people. Yep. And I see a lot of the strife that we experience as a society stems from us not loving ourselves and seeing what we don't love about ourselves and other people. And instead of taking it out on ourselves, we're taking it out on the people that either we love or the, it usually falls into the people we love because they're the closest proximity to us and more forgiving for our actions. And you don't necessarily get, you know, beat up all the time if you go to somebody you love. But um, yeah, so like, how do you, what are your thoughts in terms of that? And actually, let me scratch that question. What does compassion look like for you? Because I know when I've had this conversation with a lot of people, when you say compassion, they think, you know, 
hugging a tree or, you know, being nice to everyone yeah. that's around you. Let's break that down a little bit more for people who may have that conception of compassion. So to me, compassion, I mean, compassion means first off, like taking a look at what is ego driven in your daily life, right? Taking a look at what is that little thing in your brain that is just saying like, me, 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 you know, why like, the world's revolving around me. And it's actively not put centering that first. Most people are living ego driven lives, right? And actively trying to think, no, how in this situation can I be thinking about others around me? How can I be thinking about other, you know, both humans and non-human animals around me and understand that they too have their own complex lives and that I can be acting in a way that either makes their life worse today and in this moment, or I can be acting in a way that maybe makes it a little bit better. The thing that I always go back to when I think about compassion is this this is such a silly little story, but I, I remember this so, so vividly. I, when I first moved to Florida, so I lived in Florida before living in <laughs> California. I, I came from the great white North of Canada. So we don't have exotic creatures in Canada. We have moose and beavers and that's about it. And I remember a few months into living here, I was sitting outside and I was on a chaise lounge and at a pool and I saw one of those little lizards um, run by, you know, anoles, right? And I was watching him. I was watching him for about 20 minutes and he would, you know, run over here, bob his head, bob his head, run over here, bob his head, climb up this little leaf and back again. And he kept doing it over and over again. And so I looked up online and I'm like, what are, what is he doing? Like, I'm very curious what these behaviors are. And it turns out every single one of those lizards, and especially if you're here in Southern Florida, you see them every single day, they have about a one square foot radius that their entire life is in. Mm. And it has, you know, a high up spot mm. to look around. It's got a cool spot underneath. It's got a sun spot. And every single one you've ever seen in your life has that little tiny stretch of earth. And in that moment, I realized like he just like wants somewhere to eat, somewhere to be safe. Mm. And that's all that anybody wants, just mm. like me, just like you, just like all the animals out there. And just remembering every person that I meet, no matter how they are projecting themselves to me that day, and it probably is largely dealing with the things they don't like about themselves when they're projecting negatively, they are that same. We are all just trying to get fed and go to sleep at night and feel safe. Mm. Yeah. And I mean, and I could, I could stay on this topic all day. Like if, if you, anyone's listening to this or you follow the podcast, you know exactly what I'm talking about. But I do want to take this opportunity for people to know more about your story, your journey, because you are up to a lot of really cool things. And let's start with, let's start with the book. Okay. You know, let's start with the book. Like, um, tell us a little bit about the book and then we'll go from there. Absolutely. So my book, The Future of Food is Female, uh, was just released a few weeks ago. So it's hot, hot off the press. Uh, we debuted as a number one new release in six categories, oh, wow, wow, wow. Uh, everything from environmental science to animal rights. So you tell me what book you've ever seen that can hold number one in both those categories at the same time. The book is focused on women that are changing the food system. So it's very unfortunate and exciting to say that it is the very first book ever written focused mm -hmm. on women that are innovating an animal free technology. So we are talking about the scientists, the CEOs, the investors, I've got politicians, some celebrities in there as well, 
all of their stories and their work and how they are radically disrupting how we make food and how they are going to remove animals from the food system. I spoke to women across six continents. Uh, you know, some of them are, you know, people like Heather Mills, you know, the famous Paul McCartney's ex-wife or Miyoko Shinner, the famous, you know, CEO of Miyoko's. But some of them are also very, very little known CEOs that are just rising stars that you've perhaps never even heard of. And they are creating the technologies of tomorrow that are just going to absolutely radically transform the way that we eat on this planet. And I'm very excited to share their stories and their expertise and really pave the way for folks to to understand both how we're going to get there and, and how we are going to change the food system, but who is doing it as well. So it's all women in my book. The vast majority, probably 70, 80% of them are women of color. They're not just from North America either. These are women that are all across the world that are just really not getting the platform they deserve for the incredible work that they're doing to save the planet. And so that is exactly why I wrote the book. Women continue to get less than 3% of all VC funding in the entire world as well. So how are we going to be able to change the food system if we don't change who is getting the resources and support that they need? Now, do you see, and you're, even from Seed, you know, the conversations that you're having at the different panels and whatnot, I know you're deeply vested in this topic. So have you seen a shift or any signs that this is moving in the right direction? Like what has been your impression? So it's kind of paradoxical. Right. So we, technically speaking, had the worst year ever last year for women founders, which is just wild. So one of the things that happened during the pandemic is VCs started to kind of tighten up a little bit with where they put their funding and they saw women founders as more risky. Mm. Which is just for folks that are, you know, not too familiar with it. Women actually have better valuations and better exits than male founders. So uh, women have a 63% higher valuation upon exit than male founders. Like there's a ton of statistics that prove that it is in fact the exact opposite. Women are not risky bets. They are actually a safer bet if you're an investor, but that stigma continues to prevail. So that's kind of on the broader business side, what we're seeing. But within our industry, like plant-based, you know, food technology, we are seeing lots of new founders emerge, women founders, a lot of women founders of color, which is amazing. But they still are not beyond really those early stages. So all of the later stage companies in the industry are run by men, white men in the industry still. And really the issue is going to be, can we scale and get them the support they need to become those bigger companies? Because it's not just about early stage support, that's very important, but also the growth stage, that's where we're losing most, if not all of the women founders in the space. Now, do you see this being a generational, um, could potentially be a generational shift as a lot of these older, you know, white founders you know, pass along their business or sell it. Do you see that being an opportunity for more women to be in those top positions? I do think that there is an opportunity, food in general, like, you know, before we got into plant-based, just generally like consumer packaged goods, the food industry is super middle-aged white guy. Like it is just, you know, you're hard pressed to even find a, like a woman in the room, let alone like a woman of color. Like, and that is historically how food and food service in particular has been for decades. And I know many, many women that are, you know, now 30 years into their career doing it. And they're some of my biggest champions, champions, because they're like, 
oh my gosh, I don't want the next generations to go through what I went through. I have so many women that come to me all the time that are in their kind of like 50s, maybe early 60s, maybe even their 40s, and they're just done. And they're and they're telling me, I will do whatever it takes to change it, this for the next generation. So I do think that there is a very real um, willpower and momentum amongst women to come together and, and ensure that it becomes more equitable going forward. And there's a lot of laws and things like that that are starting to get passed, rules about the amount of women on board seats. You know, we have that in California that's starting to get replicated in different mm -hmm. parts of the world. There's definitely more formalization around that representation that's, that's good to see. But whether that representation translates, that's the real question. Now, there are obviously some roadblocks or challenges that we as individuals don't have that much control over. Obviously, you can vote and you can pay, yeah. use your dollar and what have you. Are there some things that we can actually do to raise awareness or to support this shift in momentum as individuals, male or female? There's... I mean, number one thing, there's always vote with your dollar. Mm -hmm. And I don't want folks to feel hopeless in this situation because, you know, business is a, it's complex and the market is complex, the economy is complex, and it might feel like you don't matter. But it truly does matter. Every single dollar you spend is a vote for the world that you want to see, much in the way that every dollar you put to a plant-based item instead of an animal product makes the world just a tiny bit kinder place. It's the same with when you put your money behind women, when you put your money behind black founders. Like that is very, very important. Um, so that is that in itself is important. Another thing that really needs to happen, and we just talked about this at the Vegan Women's Summit Conference a few weeks ago, was getting more women participating in investments. Mm. So women lose out on so much money compared to their male counterparts. They estimate that the average woman in her professional lifetime misses out on about a million dollars of gains compared to her male counterparts because she does not invest, even in things like the stock market. Women are just historically not investors like males. And that's largely rooted in, you know, if you grew up in a household where if you had investors, I mean, I didn't grow up in a household that had investment, but certainly if you did, it was probably your dad that did it. You know, it was probably your dad that was in finance or your mm -hmm. brother went in finance. Like there's just all this gender bias that's existed yeah. in the finance industry forever. So the literacy um, between male and female professionals is is just out of whack. So that's a big thing is just educating women to start investing and you can invest with five bucks but you need to get your skin in the game because we're in Miami right now. You know, here's a fun fact for you. 81% of all crypto holders are men. We want to hear from you. Visit our website to ask a question, leave a comment, or tell us how much you love the show. We'll play some of your messages during the episode, as well as directly to our guests. So be sure to leave your name and city and visit SoFloVegans.com slash podcast. And it's holders that in general. Yeah. And and that and that's that was actually gonna move into that conversation because right now Web 3.0 is the gold is what they call it, the gold rush. Yeah. You know, it's it's and not in the sense of you get rich, but it's just like if you're not aware of it right now, at least aware yeah. of it, you're gonna be left behind in the next five to ten years. Yeah. So how have you seen that space? You, you just kind of touched on it, 80%, 80%. What is the opportunity there? Why should women and women founders and people of color get into this space? If just you even, you know. Specifically you know, in Web3? Yeah. 
I mean, when you talk about like what the future of, of the Internet and like how we're going to rebuild this in a way that's more equitable and fair for people, absolutely these disenfranchised groups can benefit from it. And that's that the problem, though, that's happening just like in the, you know, in the crypto space. Right. It's a perfect example. Like who's buying Bitcoin? You know, it started off as largely white males and now it's shifting towards, you know, more and more of them, but also lots of like big financial institutions and bigger holders and bigger corporations also run by white males. And so like the amount that's left for women and, and people of color in particular, women of color in particular, oh my gosh, it's mm. just, it's getting smaller and smaller, especially when you talk about something like Bitcoin, which is finite. Mm. You know, the later you get into the game, the more expensive the Bitcoin is, the less there is of Bitcoin, right? And that's truly a gold rush in that sense. And what do you see some of the hurdles or roadblocks from, you know, women and people of color getting into it and, you know, chipping away at that 80%? Yeah. I think that there's just a huge education gap and a networking gap. And the networking gap is something that we see time and time again. Women just aren't as connected to these spheres as men. They just simply aren't. And they aren't in their in their business lives for job opportunities. This happens and it rears its ugly head. And the types of forums and like places like Reddit and like many of those places that have emerged as early places for people to build those communities are also largely like male driven communities, unfortunately. So there is a lot of women in crypto groups and, and women that are, you know, especially in the NFT space, mm. some like really cool women led NFT projects out there that is really exciting. And, you know, there's a lot of women that are actively trying to recruit their friends and other women they know to ensure that they're getting this education and learning about it. And I think that's kind of like organically how it's going to have to start. I've been saying from day one that there needs to be a very strong like nonprofit focus for, you know, Bitcoin in particular, but crypto education to get out there like we need to get it into like faith-based um, institutions we need to do all the different things that public charities do my very first career fun fact was at united way so i no. used to oversee um dozens and dozens of different you know education financial literacy um health and programs for the community uh and one of the ways that we would get financial literacy out there was like at the churches like we need to start meeting people where they're at and seriously start educating um, folks on the ground in communities and get it off of the internet and spaces where these people would not traditionally be found. And, you know, speaking of the internet and these organic movements and nonprofits, I know that there was a huge movement and I'm sure there still is and coding for women. Yeah. And, like, yeah. Girl code and these different um, mm -hmm. programs that exist. How, how familiar are you with those and, and like what has been the impact of it? Because I feel like it's been, you know, a few years now since that movement kind of started. Has it made any um, pr progress with women? So my my first career in Silicon Valley, I actually one of my board members was Kimberly Bryant, Black Girls Code. So, mm -hmm. you know, this is a, an area which I'm very, very familiar with. And it's they're making progress, certainly, uh, you know, STEM education in general, getting more women into coding for sure. Uh, but to understand like how far behind we are on this, mm. like the numbers are pretty stark because you've got to get people through K through 12, the entire system. Right. So we're starting with programs that are helping five and six year old, you know, young girls or, or nine and 10 year old young girls to learn about this. It's going to take a while to cultivate that pipeline and actually exit them into the industry. Mm -hmm. So certainly like, I think there's a little bit more time that needs to play out there, but that is such a great example of how important representation is. Um, so if you go back to like 1985, almost half of all the computer science degrees that were given out in the United States were going to women. 
Mm. You know, so women actually, historically speaking, were um, very, very important to the early stages of the earliest days of the computer. That's what hidden um, figures was yes, about, yes, right? Yes. Uh, and do you, do you know when the precipitous drop in women in STEM and in computers um, took place? I am going to guess 1991 or 92. A little earlier than that. It was around 86 or so. Okay. When the Nintendo came out. Oh, because it was because mainly male-driven and they went into the field because of the video games. Very real phenomenon. The wow. Nintendo. Yeah, so video games were marketed to young boys. I mean, you never saw a young girl on a... In an, no, of course no, not, no, right? No. And that is one of the key factors wow. of when women stopped seeing themselves in that space. Wow. I, I never made that connection. Yeah, track it in your head. You can see it now. Yeah, that does make sense. And that's that's kind of like I'm aging myself right now, but that's that's my time period. Yeah. Like the 90, late 80s. Like, wow. Do you remember ever seeing a, a young girl? Um, I mean, there was this one character in The Wiz in The Wizard. Well, I'm just kidding. Um, no, no, I honestly don't. I honestly Commercials, don't. you know, like, you know, like you can see, you can picture like all the commercials. I'm so excited. Like the young boys and all of that. Like that's, that is wow. such a profound example of why representation matters, right? Mm -hmm. And so, you know, we're reversing a trend that's been in play for several decades. So it's going to take some time. Mm -hmm. um, I certainly like in, in Silicon Valley in my job, all of the tech companies I worked with supported programs like this. So it's certainly something that we get public support for, but is it going to translate? I think that's a little bit early to tell. And I think you brought up a good point that a lot of these programs are geared towards elementary school yeah. students and the younger. Third and, graders. And they're probably at the beginning on the onset of it, because um, I was in the public school system for a few years. Um, they're probably exiting high school, like early high school, exiting high school, thinking of when all of this really started to take place, like maybe, what, 2012? Yeah, yeah. So now it's probably been about a decade. So, But we're also we're also radically changing like what post-secondary is, you know, mm. for, for Gen Zers and Gen Alpha, you know, the rate of, of college is going to, to change quite a bit. You know, the majority of college applicants are now women. The majority of, of the more than 50%, like the majority are now women in universities in the United States. Mm. And we're actually seeing this interesting, you know, Andrew Yang, the former presidential candidate writes about this a lot. We're actually seeing a huge drop in men, enrolling in a post-secondary post education. And there's like huge, huge drops of um, men starting to graduate high school now. Oh, actually graduating high school. Wow. Yeah, yeah. Wow. And there's and he actually did a really interesting piece a few months back and it was like, what's happening to our boys? And, you know, and, and you could extrapolate it a little bit and kind of look at the broader like political spectrum of, you know, and you get into the radicalization of what's happening to young men, you know, majority white young men on the internet and like they're getting lost. Mm. They are like they're they're actually getting lost and there's real statistics that are backing that they are doing worse and worse academically and now women are the majority in universities. So what is that going to look like? That might be part of that hope. I mean, I don't, you don't want to see one succeed, you know, at while the other one at the, the expense other, of the other, but I mean that could be, you know, I think I, I think it's time for there to be a shift. And, and the way things are led. And I, I'm saying this as someone who's, my whole adult life has been working in a majority women organization. Like I was, a, I was in the school system from yeah. 2003 until 2017. And I, at my school there, I was like one of two male 
employees. So my comfort zone is actually working with women. That's why I'm really drawn to what you're doing because I, I know I, I, I can empathize with what's going on. Also what's happening with, you know, people of color and everything like that. So let's, once again, let's, I can have a whole podcast just on this. Um, Let's shift gears into another one of your projects, a huge project that you're doing, and congratulations because it, you know, was it just two weeks ago that it, it Yeah, our, our in-person, our big flagship conference. So tell us- Literally tell, two weeks ago today. <laughs> so tell us about the conference and how it got started, and yeah, let's start yeah. from there. That's a, that's a whole <laughs> a whole thing itself. So uh, I started uh, VWS two years ago. Mm. So we are still very, very young. And I started with the concept in mind of how can we create a more diverse and equitable future of food? So for background, as I mentioned a little bit earlier, I, I was in the tech industry for, for years um, in Silicon Valley working with, you know, pretty much if they're an app on your phone, they were somebody I worked with. And I was the only woman there most of the time, the opposite to your experience, right? And I found that it was just a very homogenous space to be. And so a few years ago, as I saw the food tech industry start to take off, I was very, very excited. Suddenly the mainstream cared about something that I had personally cared about for so many years, but it started to kind of look the same as the tech industry, you know, that I'd spent my career in. So I founded VWS as a way to ensure that we have proper representation in this new industry. Like, we have this opportunity to really have women, um, women of color in particular, lead in this space, but only if we put intention behind it. You know, we have to disrupt the status quo of who ends up becoming exited CEOs and founders. So uh, we started two years ago with the concept in mind of how can we bring together women professionals from all across the world, you know, for one common purpose to build a kinder, more sustainable world. So we started with 250 women in a room in San Francisco. Mm-hmm. We are now 40 thousand plus uh, women professionals across six continents. Our flagship summit, the Vegan Women's Summit, just took place in Los Angeles two weeks ago, as well as virtually. For those of you that joined virtually, uh, we had over 800 join us live, hundreds joined from online. And I mean, it was crazy. It was sold out uh, 20,000 square feet. And it's the only conference of its kind in the entire world that's focused on women professionals that are in the sustainability and food space. So we've got everybody from Alicia Silverstone to um, Joanne, the Korean vegan, to Miyoko, um, Deborah Torres from Atlas Monroe. Like we had so many really, really incredible CEOs, celebrities, athletes, you name it, all women that are just like kicking ass at what they do and they're doing it with compassion in mind, right? So the summit itself had about 40 plus plant-based brands, future of food brands as well. Um, we had brands that debuted from Singapore, Spain, like all over the world. It truly was a a spectacle. And fun fact for you, 20% of our attendees were men. It's like you're reading my mind because that was really my next question because, you know, I'm all on board for what you're up to, what's happening, seeing this shift. But I'm sure there's probably some male listeners and wondering, you know, how do I fit in? You know, you know, feeling almost like, you know, Am I invited yeah. you know, to be a part of this? So could you want to speak to that a little bit of like how, you know, what role uh, a guy, list, a, a male listener has in this movement? 
Absolutely. So VWS, um, so we do the big flagship conference. We also do job networking events. We do a pitch competition. Uh, we, we do tons of different events in media. And every single thing we do is gender inclusive. So men are always welcome. Any, you know, regardless of what gender you identify with, you know, you are always welcome. Um, only women identified um, speakers join our stage. It is our one hard and fast rule. Uh, and I have had a lot of men ask, you know, I've had like CEOs and like really awesome supporters of mine from very, very, very big companies say like, hey, can I go say a few words? And I'm like, dude, I love you. I, you know, let's ha let's hug it out. I'm going to personally thank you. But only women go on my stage. And they say, you know what? I've been to a lot of all male conferences. Why not have an all women's conference? Mm -hmm. So uh, men are invited to support, to be allies. We have a lot of men that participate. A lot of men sponsor our events. A lot of men hire from our events in particular. Because mm -hmm. if you're looking for a good talent uh, pipeline, like, you know, send your people. We want to be a community that's for everybody. So if you are a woman change maker or someone who celebrates them, you're welcome. So take us through someone who's never been for the live event. What does it look like? Like, okay. what's the experience? Oh, the experience is just absolutely the most energizing. As as many attendees said, the best vibes you'll mm. ever get, right? That's one thing that's so important about what I do is I always make sure I energize people. I always want people to feel excited. The future can be scary if you watch the news all the time, but I think that the future is actually very, very promising and very, very bright. And I'm going to tell you why women are going to lead the charge. So um, you walk in, uh, we had over 40 uh, vendors. So we had food, fashion, beauty, technology uh, for you to interact with all things animal free we even had some products that had animal products that weren't even made with an animal um, uh -huh. so we had some of these brand new food technologies things like if you've heard of precision fermentation or, or cell based meat those types of technologies we even bring companies like that for you to meet so you can truly be at the forefront of the products that are going to power the future food system as well as leathers and all kinds of like beauty products so that entire thing is just such an amazing experience um, you get to network with hundreds of other like-minded individuals. Uh, we had people that flew in from all across the world, like 30 plus countries participate in our event. So it's the one place where you'll just meet this interesting convergence of people from all walks of life, all industries, and they're all there for the same reason that you are. 70% of our attendees this year were vegan. 30% were not. So almost one third of our attendees were vegan curious, which is so exciting to me, you mm. know, because that means that we have shown even with that big V in the name, right? Yes. Or Vegan Women's Summit, they showed up, right? Even with the W in the name, 20% of our hundreds of men showed up, right? Because it's just the place you want to be. It's a good environment. It makes you feel good. It makes you feel hopeful. It gives you ideas. Like, you can change the world. Mm. So you have speakers that take place all throughout the day, panels, fireside chats, interviews. It's just a truly magnetic experience that I honestly am not exaggerating when I say that every day people message me and say like this changed my life I've got a woman messaged me yesterday and said you know what I came to your event I have been unhappy with my career and I've been wanting to start a company and I did it I pulled the trigger last week wow. because of the inspiration from your event and I hope that the people listening to this podcast are also inspired and as we wind down where can our listeners our viewers find more about everything that you're up to. 
Absolutely. So uh, if you want to grab your copy of The Future of Food is Female, we're available worldwide on Amazon, uh, Barnes & Noble, all your usual places where you can pick up your books. Amazon is probably the easiest place to grab it. You can prime it anywhere. Um, so that would be the first place that I would go. And then you can also follow us on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, LinkedIn, YouTube, you name it, Vegan Women Summits everywhere. Our handle is at Vegan Women. So that's women with an E, not an A, Summit. And that is our handle for everything but Twitter. And Twitter is at Veg Women Summit. You can, of course, follow me and my work at Jenny Stojkovic. That is a crazy one to spell. So I'm sure that you'll drop it in the show notes. Uh, but yeah, we are focused on changing the world. We believe that the world will be powered through animal-free innovation. It's Earth Day right now as we're having this conversation. It's the single best thing, most important thing that you can do to save the planet. And uh, I think women are going to lead the charge. And the last thing that we do to close off each episode is I allow our guests to deliver a message from the heart about anything that's on your mind. There's no whatever you want to talk about and you could do it directly to the audience. And, and, yeah. and as soon as you're completed, then that would be the end of the show. Okay. All right. Let me think for a second here because I've kind of, I've done the, the circuit telling you about why, you know, innovation is going to change the food system. I think for those of you that are listening that feel that things are insurmountable, that feel like, we are doomed that feel like you just can't overcome the challenges and barriers that you are facing. Know that you absolutely can know that the world has this incredible um, centuries, like, you know, changing opportunity ahead of us to make things better. And you can be part of that. You can be one of the builders, the change makers, the innovators. I tell people every single day, there is still your place amongst the giants, um, especially in the future of food. There's so much for us to still uncover and we need every single person to put their talents and expertise towards this for the betterment of the planet, for the betterment of yourself and for the betterment of animals and all the countless lives that can be spared. So- if this is you know something that you're looking for, if this is kind of piquing your interest, I'd like to just say like, this is the sign you were looking for. You've been listening to the SoFlow Vegans Podcast. As you can see, our passion is to help people navigate the vegan lifestyle. Having on vegan experts from around the globe, Sean is the founder and, of course, the host of SoFlow Vegans, an organization created to help make South Florida a global hotspot for veganism. Thanks for listening. We'll be back soon. But in the meantime, find us on Instagram, TikTok, and YouTube at SoFlow Vegans. Find the show and more at SoFlowVegans.com slash podcast. And for questions or comments, send an email to contact at SoFlowVegans.com. Our food is grown, not born. See you next time.